20, and here Jesus, not long before he enters Jerusalem for that final week, is telling a story, a parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against, their landown- against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious that I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. When we have our second reading before Alison comes and speaks to us. So this reading is taken from the first letter of John, chapter 4, and 7 to 21, and in your Bibles it's on page 1227. John is concerned passionately and speaking to Christians that they should not love the world and test everything but his concern is for love and their love. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him, and in him in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Good morning, everybody. Um, Before I start this morning, I'd just like to tell you, I've only ever spoken at all-age services, and I've only ever spoken at uh, school assemblies. So my talks have always only ever been aimed at children. Um, So if I missed the mark this morning, um, I'm sorry, but uh, um, you might understand it. We'll see. Um, I want to start by showing you a video clip that tells the story of Maximilian Kolbe, a Polish priest who died in Auschwitz on August 14th, 1941. Auschwitz. According to some estimates, over a million people lost their lives here. And among them was a priest, Father Maximilian Kolbe. When he was a little boy, his parents got really exasperated with him. He often misbehaved and his mom said, what's going to become of you? And that question cut him to the heart. He went to his room and he was wondering, what's going to become of me? And often in the darkest moments of our lives, God reminds us he sees more in us than we see in ourselves. And as he's sitting there wondering what's going to become of him, the Blessed Mother appeared before this little boy holding two crowns, one for chastity and one for martyrdom. She said, pick one. And he reached out and he chose both. He received the crown of chastity. He became a Franciscan and he gave his life in service to God and his people. The crown of martyrdom he received here. He was thrown in Auschwitz for speaking against the Nazis. And while he was here, a prisoner escaped. Now, to try to deter any other prisoner from ever thinking of escaping, they'd line up everyone who was left, and they'd randomly pick people in the lineup. They'd put them in a small room, shut and lock the door, no food, no water, until they died. A man fell to his knees that day when he was chosen and started to sob. What about my wife? What about my kids? Father Colby was there, and he stepped out of line. He walked right past the guards right past the guard dogs, straight up to the commander at Auschwitz. And people who survived said they remembered the commander was shaking in the presence of Father Cole. But we had the power of an empire behind him. But he was standing in the presence of greatness. He said, what do you want? 
want to take his place. That's what, are you crazy? He said I'm a Catholic priest. And a miracle happened. Instead of sending them both to their deaths, he said, fine, switch them out. Instead of hearing howls of pain and curses from the starvation bunker that week, they heard people singing hymns of praise to God. After 12 days, Father Colby was the only one left alive, and they injected him with carbolic acid to end his life. His last act was to bless the men who executed him. All the powers of empire, they rise and fall around us. They come and go. But acts of charity, they endure forever. The people who lay down their lives in love and service of humanity, they blaze like the sun for all eternity. Today we're looking at loving service in the context of our series entitled Five Marks of Mission, trying to see what it looks like for us as a church and individually and with the knowledge that God's kingdom is coming, is near and is what we should be trying to bring on earth now. Showing love to others is a hugely important aspect of mission. Many people recognize that love is at the center of the meaning of life. Even the Beatles sang, all you need is love. Jesus himself summarized God's law into two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love other people. Love and service is not dependent on the number of times we go to church. It's not dependent on belonging to a house group or on the sincerity of our worship or the length of our prayers. It's dependent on our actions, what we do for others and how we treat them. We can't all be Maximilian Colby, but we can all do something. Just over a year ago, my husband Pete started a new job up in London on a small street off Victoria Street. And being a morning person, he usually got to work first, and as he walked up the steps to his office, there'd be a man sat there smoking cigarettes. Now, this man, Pete would say, would be somebody he wouldn't ordinarily strike up a conversation with. The easiest thing for him to do would be to put his head down, walk up the steps, and get into the office as quickly as possible. And that's what it that's exactly what Pete did to begin with but you can't keep doing that so eventually Pete made the decision to strike up conversation it sort of went like this nice day he said and got the reply it is so a start Pete took it to the next level the next day good morning again tell me what's your name and the man replied and this is what he did reply I'm Cuthbert and I'm a dropout. What do you say to that? Well, nice to meet you, Cuthbert. I'm Peter and I'm an accountant. And that was it. After that initial exercise of will on Pete's part, they acknowledge each other with a smile and a wave, they talk briefly, and Pete's even been known to take him a cup of coffee. Loving service. We can all do it. We heard two weeks ago from Revelation 22 that God's kingdom is coming. And we heard from Mark 1 that God's kingdom is near. We have to be ready for this. And we need to remember that we, with all Christians, should be continuing Jesus' mission to bring God's kingdom on earth now by our loving actions towards other people. Tom Wright, in this book, Simply Jesus, says... 
It will not do to suppose that Jesus came to teach people how to get to heaven, but he was also training them to be kingdom bringers. Through Jesus, God was taking charge right here on earth. Heaven and earth were beginning to overlap with acts of loving service, started through Jesus and being carried on by us. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that when the Son of Man returns, he will separate his people into sheep on the right and goats on the left. And to those sheep on the right he will say, Come in, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. It won't be what we've said or the piety we showed, but the actions we took. That is what Jesus says will make the difference. Jesus commanded us to love God and love others. When Jesus returns, we'll be sorted like sheep and goats into those who've loved God and lovingly served other people and those who have not. This is a challenge put to us, to love God and to love others. Do we faithfully do this and show it by our actions. This challenge is key to our Christian faith and applies to each and every one of us. John understood it very well, and in 1 John 4, he tackles it head on. He looks at the concept of love, what it means, where it comes from, the nature of it, and the actions it should prompt. He also uses the Greek word agape, when he refers to love. This is the highest form of love and is unconditional. We're going to look at this a little bit um, in more detail further on. In 60 AD, the Apostle John left Palestine and settled in Ephesus, where he stayed for about 30 years. And at some point during those years, John was sent away by the Emperor Domitian into exile to the island of Patmos, for preaching the gospel. John's letters were probably written after he returned, and they were intended to be read by the churches when they gathered together, and they were intended to be passed round from church to church. I wonder if he ever imagined that 2,000 years later, those very words would still be being read. The structure of 1 John seems to be a spiral, with John returning again and again to the same ideas, maybe demonstrating to his readers their importance. St. Jerome, writing in the late 4th century, tells a story about the Apostle John in extreme old age. He used to be carried into the congregation by his disciples, and he was unable to say anything except, "'Little children love one another.'" And his disciples were eventually wearied by keep on hearing these words and only those words. And they said, Master, why do you say this? And he replied, Because it is the Lord's command. And if only this is done, it is enough. At the beginning of chapter 4, John reminds us that we are from God, God is in us, and God is greater than the one who is in the world. Then he goes on to tell us how God, ourselves, and love are intertwined. Let us love one another 
because love comes from God. If we don't love, we don't know God, because God is love. God showed his love for us by sending his Son, so we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his Son to save us. He tells us how our love for others should then follow. Since God loved us, we must love others. If we love others, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And lastly, John reminds us that our love for God and each other is made possible because God first loved us. And if we don't love our brother or sister, we cannot say we love God. God's command to us is that we should love one another. Fortunately for us, God's love for us doesn't hinge on our imperfection. No, on our perfection, sorry. (laughs) Perhaps I should say that again because that's quite important. Fortunately for us, God's love for us doesn't hinge on our perfection. While we were still sinners, God loved us. While we were completely and utterly undeserving, God sent Jesus to save us. When the wages of sin should have been death, God's love issued forth a plan for life. When our separation from God should have destroyed us, God found a way of bringing us back to him. God continues to love us in our imperfection. So perhaps now is the time to look more closely at this little word, love. I think John's first listeners might have had a better understanding of this word than we do. In these modern times, we are bombarded with weak concepts of love. We love certain foods. We love to watch The Apprentice. We love to watch England winning the rugby. But when we say this, we're just saying what makes us happy. Love goes beyond this, and when John talks about loving others, he is speaking about a unique love which originates from God and is there because God loves us. This love is a commitment to act in the best interests of others, even others who we might find in some way unlovable, and the act might involve some sort of sacrifice on our part. Going back to what I briefly mentioned earlier, whereas we only have one word for love, in Greek there are four words, each of which giving love a slightly different meaning. You've got philio, which is love between friends. Eros, your romantic love. Storgo, which is love of family. And this agape love, which is unconditional love. And it's agape love that John is using here the highest form of love. Outside the Bible, you don't often find it used, but Jesus used it. Jesus used it in John 13, 35. People will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And he used it when he talked with Peter on the beach after he'd risen. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And the original Greek word would have been agape. Peter, however, replies, yes, Lord, I love you, but he misreads the kind of love that Jesus is giving and replies using the word filio, which indicates brotherly love. The third time Jesus asks, do you love me? 
He actually also uses filio. Perhaps that's because of the nature of Jesus, to get alongside us where we are. And John uses it here in this passage so that his readers see the depth and the strength of the love he is talking about. He wants us to know that this love is unlike anything the world experiences and is aimed at all those who need love. In other words, all of us. Use of agape love shows the very nature of God. It's not complete without actions. Agape love is known because of what it does, not because of how it feels. It's not an impulse generated by feelings. It's an exercise of will. It's something we do despite how we feel, not because of it, but because God loves us, though we don't deserve it, and we know that he loves the other person in exactly the same way. God loved us in this way from day one, when Adam and Eve hid because of their sin. God pursued them with his love. The Old Testament is littered with times when the Israelites strayed so far from God, but he loved them so much that he pursued them and brought them back to himself. Through the Bible's history, God's love pursued his people when they'd separated themselves from him, making themselves unlovable and sinful. God's love for his people, us included, is not based on what we do, but on who God is and his character. He showed us enormous love with his final rescue plan when he sent Jesus so we might live through him. God gave his best for us, and it is the definition of love that the world has never experienced. So from John we know that the source of this love is God, is God. God is love. We know that the example of his love is that God sent Jesus. And we find out that the application of this love involves us. Especially as for now, we are Jesus' hands and we are required to attempt to do what he would do. If God loves us this deeply and this much, we should love others. This love of God has the ability to transform us. Once we know the source of love, we're better able to share love with others. If God loved us, and demonstrated this love to us so wonderfully, we can show this love to others. And if we don't love our brothers and sisters, we don't love God. So the question for us is, when others look at us, do they see this kind of agape love that God showed us? The love that is aimed at all who need love, and the love that prompts an action from within us. This love can be found within us, because of the great love that God has shown us. And this love can generate a response from us towards other people, because we know how great God's sacrificial love for us has been. There's no one who isn't included in this. We're all commanded to love others. We're just going to listen now to Mother Teresa, who is speaking on love and from 1 John 4. Because how can we love God whom we don't see? St. John says, How can you say that you love God whom you don't see if you do not love your neighbor 
when you see. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. Hungry not only for bread, hungry for love, for the word of God, for the tender concern of somebody. Whether we are male, female, young, old, black, white, in a position of having plenty or struggling to make ends meet, we all have to love our brothers and sisters because God first loved us. And we have to show that love by the way we act. It's the most important task of our life. Entrusted to us by the one who loved us first, sent us Jesus to show how it's to be done, and left us the spirit to strengthen us in his service. Amen. Thank you, Alison, for that uh, challenging 